The words, they sting us. And if we're honest, when we first hear them, these ancient words set warning bells off in our heads. They seem too critical, too judgmental. And in this age of anything and everything goes in our culture, they seem far too intolerant. We would like to find a way to dismiss them, to bypass them, or maybe just to ignore them. How could it be that what was written and taught 14 to 1600 years ago could be relevant to us today? Guidelines to shape our faith and our churches today, declaring that only those who hold to a certain complex understanding are saved. For that is what the words appear to state, and in fact they do. Those words that we in just a few moments will confess in the Athanasian Creed. Whoever desires to be saved must above all hold the Catholic faith. Whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled will without doubt perish eternally. Harsh words, it seems. But they're words that lead into a creed that is hard to understand until it is taken apart and chewed upon. Until we examine it closely and begin to come to an understanding of what is written there. Some of you will have only heard these words for the first time this morning. Most of the rest of us, in fact, only confront them probably one time a year here on this Trinity Sunday as we celebrate how God revealed himself to us as both one and yet three. So then, how can you confess these hard words? These words do beg to be considered, don't they? And yet our hearts struggle with the idea that such a complexity can be so critical to our salvation. One pastor and author phrased it this way, The doctrine of the Trinity is truth for the heart. The fact is, these words cannot be satisfactorily explained, nor can the Trinity be satisfactorily explained. But instead, this does not make it a valid criticism against this creed and our confession of the Trinity. In fact, it is actually in its favor. And here's why. Such a truth, a complex and confusing and difficult to understand truth, had to be revealed by God. It could never have been imagined or conjured up by a human mind. Grasping our own struggle of these words in this trinity gives us some idea of the struggle that the Jews were going through as they too tried to grasp the claims of this man who was teaching in the temple courtyard that he was not just a mere man, but he was completely God as well. As we struggle through this apparent paradox today and in the rest of our lives, may we come to the same understanding as those who wrote this creed so long ago. It is a spirit-led understanding. An understanding that is shared with angels and with archangels and with all the company of heaven. Shared by all of those who will be gathered into heaven one day, that day of Christ, to proclaim God's holiness, His majesty, and His glory. 
For indeed, as the words say, the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. But we struggle. We struggle with mysteries and paradoxes, don't we? It's because they make us feel weak and incompetent and confused. There's a large part of us that absolutely hates it when we don't know where we're going or what we're doing or what is being said around us. We never like it when we're not in complete control, when we cannot manipulate a situation to the way we would prefer it to be. Such is the reason we sometimes hate going to the doctor's office or reclining back in that chair at the dentist, and also why we probably don't like getting caught up in the legal system. That's because these situations include conversations that take place around us in languages or in vocabularies that we don't fully understand. We're surrounded by people making decisions that we don't feel we have much of an active part in participating in. So we feel helpless. But we have a bigger struggle than this. Our bigger struggle is that we don't like not being God. So it was with the Jews who thought that they needed to confront this Jesus because his teaching was so challenging to them. It upset their worldview. And yet, all the miracles that he was doing in the city and around the countryside seemed to compel them and call upon them to make a form of a judgment on him. Their challenge came about because they thought they understood God. After all, they had studied His Word for centuries. They had the temple right in their midst there in Jerusalem where in fact He was teaching right then. And they were not Samaritans and certainly not Gentiles. They did all the right things. They sang all of the right psalms. They kept all of the festivals that were ordained. And yet Jesus will say about them, It is my Father who glorifies Me, of whom you say, He is our God but you have not known Him. And in saying these words, Jesus differentiates between a casual knowledge and intimate knowledge of God. Between just basic familiarity and a genuine bond. Yes, these Jews know of God, but they don't really know God. Had they been able to process their knowledge, they would have seen that their worship was vain and empty. They would have realized that Herod's majestic temple towering over them was being used as a sham. Their actions there were nothing but a falsehood designed to appease the God that they claimed to follow. But in fact, God was standing there right in their midst. And then they would try to kill Him. And even doing so, it would happen as He was trying to show His plan of salvation His plan for them, and His plan for us. They resisted the idea that He was not a pliable God, a God who could be bent to their notions and to their preferences. And even though the Old Testament spoke frequently and deeply of Him and His love for them so clearly, they just could not wrap their minds around the concept of God walking among them. But have we made any progress since then ourselves? We still want a God who is controllable too, don't we? A God that is very easily defined and easily understood. 
It's our fallen human nature to desire a faith that can be reduced to a list of simple do and don't behaviors. And even then, we would want that list to be under our control, dictated by us, judged by our reason, worked out by our logic. Fact is, we want what C.S. Lewis called a tame God. But a tame God isn't really much of a God, is he? A tame God would simply be a false God, a God created in our image so that we can really be God in the end. It's the ultimate example of that sin prohibited in the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. So then, how should we define the Trinity, this God of Father, of Son, and of Holy Spirit? Is it for us to define a God who has revealed Himself to be anything but tame, anything but pliable or controllable? He is not only complex, but He is full of paradoxes. From the Trinity to Jesus being both 100% God and 100% man to the mystical union of the Holy Supper. He tells us that He washes us clean of all sin as we are joined to His death and His resurrection. He proclaims His death to us as we take and we eat His body and drink His blood in, with, and under the bread and the wine given and shed for the forgiveness of our sins. You see, the thing that the Jewish people got wrong and the thing that we still struggle with is that God does not want a people that simply follow Him by obeying every command robotically. What He really wants is a people who are in relationship with Him. You see, the creeds do not demand our intellectual agreement and assent to some sort of vague and ambiguous notions or propositions about God. Instead, the creeds reveal to us the very character of the God who calls us into relationship with Him. A relationship that is earmarked by our trust in Him. Sealed with His faithfulness to the promises that He gave to Old Testament people like Abraham. And was manifested in Jesus' suffering and death at the cross. And so here again is the definition of the church Catholic and of its faith. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. Worship. Worship means that there's a relationship there, a relationship in which we adore Him. He's revealed His love towards us, those of us we has gathered and cleansed and made His children. And the rest of the creed goes on to elaborate and tell us of this incredible God. How magnificent and how unsearchable and how uncontrollable He is. But also how merciful and how loving He is. And that is why we keep His Word. And that is why we treasure His Word. It is not because He tells us that if we don't behave that certain way that we're going to get zapped. It's because instead the creeds reveal to us His attitude toward us. His infinite love. His unfathomable love. A love so incredible that we cannot begin to measure it. A love so deep and so wide and so strong that it would drive Jesus to die within very sight of that temple where He was taught, where He was teaching that day. The temple where He was confronted and challenged. Questioned and despised and finally rejected and threatened. It was a love so strong that it compelled him to die for the very people that tried to stone him when they found that they could not control him. 
His love is glorious. His love is wonderful. And His love is amazing. And it cannot be fully comprehended, contemplated, or measured. That love can only be basked in and rejoiced in and enjoyed in the presence of the One who loves us. And there He is to be praised and worshipped and glorified. Even as Abraham rejoiced when he realized what God had promised to him so long ago. And having that love means that we will be welcomed into the same place of which Isaiah spoke. The same city of which Ezekiel prophesied. Into the same gathering that John describes in the book of Revelation. It's a place beyond our ability to imagine. So incredible is the glory of God and His salvation. And yet it will be our eternal home. We will, join, we will be joined there together with the saints of every nation, every language, every tribe, every tongue, and yes, even every time. We will be welcomed and kept there by a God who defies any description except the description that He has given to us through revelation to mankind. So hear, O people of God, the Lord your God is one. And yet He is three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May the peace of God, which like His triune nature defies our comprehension and our human understanding, continue to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.